nothing fake, phony. They're not here for the money. They're here because God called them here. And I'm, I'm blessed and excited to get to be part of their lives from here on out. That's exciting to me. Uh, this morning, God just kind of downloaded some imagery to me really quick I wanted to share because I think there's some more doors that need to be opened and in order for us to receive. And that is the area of forgiveness. You know, when I was a young boy, I went to a, a small church, and it was called the High Church of Religious Science. Don't ask me why. I just was put in the car, and I went. And I was probably about seven years old, and they had this ceremony where you would write things that you were struggling with on a piece of paper, and you'd bring them up and put them in the fire, and they'd burn them up. Well, I thought, well, this is a good idea to draw a stick picture of my cousin who was annoying me. <laughs> and so I, I brought my stick figure picture up to the altar thing, and I started to put it on the, on the fire, and the pastor grabbed it. <laughs> And he said, son, we need to talk. <laughs> and that was my first lesson about forgiveness. But here's the deal, guys. This is, in this moment and in this season, this is one of the best gifts that God has given us, and that is the ability to forgive others. Because when we do, it releases the manifest presence of God. It releases God's presence, his gifts, his anointing. That charisma of God is released on them to receive what God has for them. And a lot of us have held on to unforgiveness for way too long. So this morning, as, as we move through this service, I want you to ponder, is there anyone that I need to forgive? Because it is a roadblock that will keep you from receiving all that God has for you. Amen? Amen. Greg, did you want to tag on to that? Um, while, I, while we were all worshiping together, which was amazing, uh, Lewis, thank you for leading us. Um, I, I actually saw a picture with, with you guys. Um, and I want to explain what I saw. Um, and it was, it, this is a, a prophetic, the Lord wants to let you know your impact. And I saw you two on a beach facing outward on this beautiful ocean that was, didn't have a wave on it. And I saw you worshiping the Lord. And, and then all of a sudden, people started appearing along the shoreline doing the same thing on both sides of you, as far as you could see on this, on this sandy beach. And then, uh, without any notice, this hand came from heaven right off the shore and went boom and created a tidal wave. And you guys, everybody who was worshiping the Lord was not afraid of this wave. And the wave overtook them and brought them onto the shore. And the message that you guys are preaching were disseminated throughout the whole lands. But you were side by side with those who um, God is allowing to set free. Amen? Mark and Julie, come on up. I want to pray for you guys. Can we get some leaders up here? You know who you are. Come on, leaders. 
Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Clyde? Father, we just recognize just the anointing and the gifting that you've placed on this couple. We are thankful, Lord, for them, for bringing them here and all the divine uh, connections uh, for you to cross our path. And God, we just open our hearts. We know that there is more. Just as Lewis has said, I, I think there's more. <laughs> there is more. And um, I just ask God that we would open our hearts to receive what you have for us. Even those places that might be difficult for us to, to open, I just ask Holy Spirit, as Doug had talked about, we need to forgive. We just ask God that you would soften those, those areas, God. Unlock those doors. You know where they're at, Lord. Thank you for them. Bless them, Lord. We receive all that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Doug. Thank you for your warm hospitality here at Vineyard Grants Pass. You know, we kind of felt really welcomed Thursday night, Friday night. We did home group with, with, Doug on, uh, with Greg and Teresa on Thursday night, then Friday night service, Saturday night service. But this morning, I want to say thank you, Lewis, for leading us in worship. You know, I was not expecting to hear Demagariad Philamoroid here in southern Oregon. You may or may not be aware, but love, here is love vast as the ocean, the song that we sang was the one where the Welsh revival in 1904 broke out, and it was sung all over the land. In fact, it's been sung all over the world. And the minute he started to play, I'm like, I can't believe. We have a taste of Wales. I'm, now I'm feeling really at home with you guys. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lewis. God bless you. Amen. It's just good to be worshiping with family here in Grants Pass, Oregon. And for those who's joining us on live stream, you know, I believe God wants to do something today. I, I really want to um, go through a little bit of a recap of the last two days uh, they say that, that um, repetition is the motor of learning. I think that's a polite way of saying sometimes you don't get it the first time. And so people have, have to hammer it into you twice, three times. They say that you don't remember it until you've, uh, until you've heard it 12 times. So maybe I need to repeat it a few times today. It's, it's a challenge for us as we travel and minister. And then when we get to speak for three days, you know, I, I, I feel I only have one message. I really feel as, as though I think, okay, how can I stretch this into three days? And I think, I think really the church has complicated Christianity. The church has complicated the gospel. And the church has complicated. And I, I know some people that know much more about the Bible than I do. And I used to feel guilty about that. Not that I haven't read the Bible cover to cover. Not that I haven't been to thousands upon thousands of Bible studies and church services. And we've been to Bible school. And, uh, but, you know, sometimes I think people know more about the prophets than they know about Jesus. 
Sometimes they know more uh, about the, the history of certain tribes in the nation than they do about the fact that Jesus died, rose again, and sent his Holy Spirit so that we could live as ambassadors for Christ. And, and, and I love the Old Testament, don't get me wrong, but I see so many people who are praying Old Testament prayers because they didn't realize that we've got a new covenant that is a better covenant, and we don't have to plead with God any longer. We just have to operate as his servants in the land. We are the ones we are his army that he has risen up. We are praying and waiting for a move of God, and he's praying and waiting for a move of us. And he's saying, be the revival that you want to see. And that's my message really all over the place is be the revival. God is not going to open the windows of heaven. I love singing that. I love saying that. I, I, I default sometimes to open, as I pray, Lord, open the windows of heaven, whatever that means. But you know, the way the Bible says he'll open the windows of heavens is by tithes and offerings. When we give God what is rightfully his. I love worship and, and thank you, Lewis. I, I, I echo that this morning. It was nice to, to hear something from the Welsh revival that, that came along. And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. But before I do, I, I, before I forget, we, we have a newsletter that's out on the table out there. I'd love you to pick up a newsletter and uh, pray for us. We also have a fridge magnet that you can put on that says, please pray for Mark and Julie. 20 years ago, somebody said, if you want to have Americans remember you, put your face by the Diet Coke. <laughs> and I'm like, what on earth does that mean? And <laughs> they said, get a fridge magnet. And get it. And we have so many friends all over the world and all over the states who will text us and message us saying, I went for a glass of water this morning or I went for a glass of milk and I, I saw your faces on our refrigerator and I was praying for you today. And so please take one of our fridge magnets, there's one of them out there, and, and commit to pray for us. One brother said to us uh, this week, I, I took two. I got one on either side of my refrigerator. Well, if that's what you need, then that's great. You, you, you do that. <laughs> Double trouble, I guess, you, you're looking for. So, But it's so good. But we, we have, um, let me just see what we got you. There's, there's a slide, there's our newsletter. So there's a QR code. If you're technical and you've got a smartphone, you can just hold your camera up and it'll take you straight to sign up for our email newsletter as well. And why do we want to stay in touch with you? Well, firstly, we're family. We're going to spend eternity together. So you might as well get to know us and like us now and us to like you as well. And, and to reiterate what Julie said, we, we've grown to love you very quickly this week. Uh, thank you, Pastor Doug and uh, Sandy and the team and uh, Robert and Bob and Greg and Teresa, you know, thank you for embracing us and the rest of the team uh, and uh, Rebecca. It's been a pleasure to get to know you people and to know what God is doing in this place. Sometimes when we go to a church, we have to sort of dig a, dig a few ditches and get rid of a few things because I don't know what they teach in those churches, but, you know, we, we feel as though we need to get to a foundation before we can impact the church. But I, I feel as though we've just come into the flow of the river in this 
this church because we're saying the same things as your leadership has been saying for many years. And so we are in alignment already, and it's easier for us then to flow into that. I, I know Pastor Doug is keen for us to activate you in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, activate you in the calling and the ministry that God has called you to. And that, that is our heart. You know, it's not for us to come once a, once a month, once a year, once a decade uh, and fire you up. It, it's, it's about you being who God has called you to be in this place and, uh, and to, for you to thrive in your kingdom purpose, in your sphere of influence. For some reason, some of you were born in this place and some of you uh, have, have have just found yourself here. You don't know why you're here, but God has a plan and a purpose in you being here. And this is the place that you are called to be and you have to blossom where you're planted. It's important that you impact. It, it, it doesn't matter how much you pray. It doesn't matter how much you read the Bible. If you are not impacting people with the a, with a gospel of Jesus Christ, then you've missed the point of what Jesus said his disciples were intended for. Your role is to reach your neighbors and the nations with the gospel. That's probably the shortest version of the Bible you could ever read, but I encourage you to read the whole Bible. I'm not trying to say don't do that. It's important. There's lessons right throughout there, but don't miss the essence of the fact that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Um, I'm, I'm honored that you would have a, such a big, somebody's faith was big for our love offering Today is—is is this a jelly mold or is it a bowl or or whatever? I, I, a jello mold? I don't know. But I notice it's bigger than the tithes and offerings basket. So <clears throat> maybe they write bigger checks in those. I always like to say at this point, you spell million M I L L I O N. And if you don't have that sort of faith, thousand is T H O U S A N D. But maybe my faith and expectation is greater than yours today, but I was talking before the service with, with Pastor Doug, and I said, I'm, I'm honored that you would take an offering for us. We, we didn't come for an offering. We came to sow. We come to give, and the reason that we could afford to come and sow and give is because people partner with us monthly, and other churches sow into our ministry so that we can go places uh, that, that they can't go. And we can uh, go uh, throughout the U.S. and throughout the world and we can advance the kingdom and we could ignite people uh, for revival and breakthrough is, is which, what is what we're doing. Uh, and so I know some of you would love to travel with us uh, and, and go all the places and some of you would hate that. Uh, and say, I would never want to go and do that, not knowing where you're staying, not knowing who you're going to see and uh, be on the road so much. But the Bible says that they, they that, that go and they that send get the same reward. So we'd love to invite you to be part of our sending team. And you can do that by partnering monthly with us if, if you're so inclined. Uh, the reason that we're here, Robert and Barbara Henderson invited us, but Greg and Teresa are monthly partners with us. And uh, they said to us this week, oh, you guys are amazing. I said, no, we're a team. We are partners in this. Every life we touch, you touch. You, you may not go the places that we go. And so for us to come and minister in your home group this week and stay in your home for a few days and be in the church that you call family is partnership. 
It's partnership. We're in this together. Together we can reach more people than we can do individually. So thank you for the offerings. And if you want to talk to us about how you can partner monthly, the, the, in the bottom of our newsletter there is a very clear uh, way that you can support our ministry. And we'd love and be honored to have you as part of our team. The more finances that come in, the further we can go, the easier it is for us to reach people. But I don't want you to think that our ministry is about money. I gave up a very good career to follow God, and, and I could have earned as much money as I wanted, but I decided that that song that we sang this morning, he is worthy of it all. Sometimes we say he's worthy of it all on a Sunday morning when I've given him two hours of my time to come to church, but the rest of the week is mine. Is that okay? And then we sing, he is worthy of it all except for this and except for that and except for the other. And what makes him worthy of it all? Well, this table makes him worthy of it all. As uh, Pastor Doug said this morning about that word forgiveness, and I looked at the table and I'd already had that same word. I, I, I concur with what he said this morning. As I was looking at this table and thinking that this is the ultimate symbol of forgiveness. When Jesus on a cross was looking to those who was jeering at him and accusing him and those he had loved turned their back on him. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The, the Lord's prayer said that we are to forgive others so that we ourselves will be forgiven. Somebody said to me in a life group about two weeks ago, so what do you think? If we hold on to unforgiveness, are we going to heaven or not? I said, look, I, I'm not going to get into theology with you, but if, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, then it's like having a fishing hook stuck in your cheek and you need to remove it. You're expecting the other person to hurt. They don't even know what you're talking about. They're oblivious. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgiveness has been a big part of our ministry over the last few months and years. As we travel, we take leadership teams through a, a freedom in Christ process. And every time we come to the forgiveness stage, I think it's the most powerful tool to actually release people into their destiny and their gifting. And I believe God's going to deal with that tonight, today. Uh, this morning, I think God is going to touch people's lives who are holding on to resentment and discouragement that maybe somebody has spoken over you. Maybe you've been part of a church and you're holding on to hurts of, of how that group of poor people turned their back on you. Or maybe that pastor accused you of something that wasn't true. Or, or, or maybe there was another brother. Or maybe it was a sibling of yours. Or, or maybe it was your mom or your dad. Or maybe somebody abused you. Maybe somebody lied to you. Maybe a business partner that you trusted took fun finances, and you thought, and now you've struggled ever since with that. Well, let me tell you that God is able to redeem any situation. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. Forgiveness doesn't mean that, that you know, we're going to erase it from our memory. We're never going to think it. All, all it means is that there's no pain anymore when it's pressed. Because let me tell you, the enemy wants to press that wound. 
Have you ever had a wound and you thought it healed until somebody touched it? Julie, Julie and I were cycling a while back. It's a funny story. There was a, an armadillo in Florida. We didn't even know there were armadillos in Florida. I think the enemy flew him there. And he was dead on the road. I know in some parts of the, of the U.S. that's normal. Uh, but it's not in, in Florida where we're from, where, where we're living now. And, uh, and there was this vulture. Now, we don't come, you know, I saw vultures on cartoons growing up. But I never saw them. I didn't know they really existed. And, but in Florida, there's vultures. And this vulture comes down and he's picking at this armadillo on the road. And, and we, we are driving past. And, and Julie turns to look. Uh, and next thing, she hits the curbstone and falls off her bike. She was only going a few miles an hour, and she, she'll tell you it was like a, a car wreck. But uh, uh, and I'd say, Julie, Julie, keep your eyes on the road ahead. It was a spiritual lesson in this. But in the moment, I was so sympathetic. And I was, oh, love, can I help you? Let me get you up. It doesn't matter. And then at, later we unpacked this a little, and I said to her, do you know, I think that vulture saw you coming down the road, and I thought, I'll create a distraction, and she'll fall off her bike and die, and then we'll get all my mates to come, <laughs> and we'll eat her because she was much bigger than the armadillo. <laughs> Judy thinks I'm crazy sometimes, and who knows? Maybe that was the plan of the enemy to stop us coming to Grants Pass, Oregon. You know, there is an enemy out there that's looking to distract you. There's an, a, an enemy that wants to bait you into his territory, and unforgiveness is the biggest lure that he could use. It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Unfor so I, I, I just think that's not my message this morning, but... But I, I really concur with Pastor Doug. You just need to let it go. Maybe you need to forgive God this morning. God could not do anything wrong. But some of you are holding on to things that God hasn't done for you or didn't do in the way that maybe you thought he should have done it for you. And then maybe you need to consider that this morning forgiving yourself. Maybe you've done things in the past and you're ashamed of them and you feel as though you're disqualified from what God could ever use anybody for. You think he's never going to use me. If people knew what I was like. Somebody said to me the other day, if God knew what I was like, he'd never pick me. I said, okay, I agree with you. For some reason, he's deluded enough to pick me. And I don't think that I qualify, but as I said last night, he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And when we can release that bitterness within us, which creates a root that grows into everything that we do, when we release that, we give God the opportunity to have freedom in our lives, and we start to flow. We, the world starts to look differently to us because we're not filtering it through this filter of resentment and discouragement and shame that maybe we were before. And I, I encourage you this morning as we go through our message that you just consider those things. And if you want us to agree with you at the end in prayer, we will certainly 
help you, but I, I encourage you to go to the ministry team here at, as the church and say, look, there are areas I'm struggling within. Will, will you help me to go through a process to release those people I'm holding a grudge against right now, or even myself, that you help me to get to that stage? I'm sure they would be equipped to do that. And one announcement before we get into my message is uh, there's there's a a gelato and dessert store in Grants Pass called House of Glory, and um, <clears throat> the the owners of that were they, their testimony was that they were on drugs and and they were living quite a a wild lifestyle and God arrested them and and, and God convicted them and God met them just a few years ago and they were in Miami, Florida, running another business. And, and God saved them, and God told them to come to Grant's Pass. And so they came here, and he told them to open a gelato and dessert store, and apparently it's doing very, very well. Uh, but their passion is to reach people with the gospel. And so they're opening that up tonight. I don't think there is gelato and dessert. My wife is believing for it. Um, but I think it's more of a meeting <laughs> and a group gathered. Um, and so that's tonight at 7 o'clock. And they've asked us if we would speak to a group. And, and I said, who is coming? And he said, anybody that's hungry for revival to flow through this valley. And so I thought, wow, that's good. So 7 o'clock tonight. That's what we're going to be doing, and I believe that we're going to be set in a flame in the center of, of downtown Grants Pass. They're, they're strategically positioned, so you can start the fire on the edge, and they can start the fire in the middle, and, and it'll meet up, and it'll consume everybody throughout this valley, I believe. And so please pray for us as we do that tonight. We're going into one of those divine appointments on a divine assignment that we know nothing about. But one thing I know is that God is going to show up. And God is going to do something that is going to change lives. So I encourage you uh, to do that. I believe God's already done great things over the past few days. A number of you have come up and given us testimonies of how God has impacted your life uh, over the last few days. And we're encouraged by that. And sometimes it's difficult. Uh, This way, it's, it's been a little bit back to front for us that we usually speak on a Sunday morning and then we'll have a Sunday evening service and maybe a Monday evening service. So we tell you our story on Sunday morning and then we'll build on it over the next two days. But this time we sort of wanted to keep a little bit back because we realized that some of you didn't make it to the services and some of you are watching on live stream today. And so we want to still tell you a little bit of our story and why, why do I want to tell you our story? Well, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, it says that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So a key factor in how to combat the enemy in our life is by what Jesus did on the cross, the blood of Jesus shed to take away our sins, to deal with our sickness. And so when the enemy comes against you and you just plead the blood of Jesus, what you're doing is you're reminding him that Jesus has taken the victory from him. What once he held the, is the keys and Jesus went in and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Somebody once said to us that they said, you know, all these Christians that are afraid of the devil, he doesn't even have keys to his own house because Jesus took them from him. And so he has no authority other than the authority that you choose to give him. 
you know, he has no rights, no legal rights in your life other than those doors that you open to him. And unforgiveness is one of those doors where you give him legal right to come in and mess with your family, mess with your mind and mess with your situation. And the other thing is that we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony. Our testimony is important. Someone with an experience is never at the mercy of those with an opinion. People say to us, I don't believe what you believe. I say, well, that's okay because I've experienced it. I know it's true. Whether you believe it or not, I pray that you have the experience to back up your ignorant opinion. I don't use the word ignorant. Maybe that's a bit strong in, in the UK. But some people are ignorant in as much as they don't know what they don't know. You can be in church for 40 years and not know what you don't know. You think you know all the scriptures, you think you know all the theory, but you've never practiced what Jesus said we should practice. And this morning, as we start this message, I, I want you to realize that we haven't always done what we are doing now. At one time, we were good Christians going to church and giving our offerings, and I led worship for 16 years, and, uh, and you know, we, we, we were serving, and we were in the eyes of everybody, good Christians, and we were successful in business. And it came a time in our lives where God challenged us with a question. We were in Wales, for those of you who haven't seen uh, the, the map that I like to put up, just to show you it's not England, it's really important to me. It didn't used to be, until people kept asking me, am I English? I said, no, I'm Welsh, it, it matters. Where we have 3 million people in our country and we have 10 million sheep. Uh, so it's rural, it's a small country. People say, 3 million people, there's cities in America bigger than that. Why is it a country? I said, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't know. I just happened to be born there. And I was born in a little village. I haven't shown anybody this picture. That's where I was born, in the mountains of Wales. It was very, very much like the areas around of Grants Pass and the Rogue Valley. You know, we had the same type of valleys. I was born in the valleys of Wales. Um, and I, so I was born there. The only thing we had was a soccer pitch and a school. There was no stores. There was no stoplights or any modern conveniences. This is quite a, a recent photograph. Uh, when I was there, it was 58 years ago when I was born there. Uh, there was even less things than there is in that photograph. There was no famous people from my village. There was nobody I could name you that really did much with their lives. But God had a plan and a purpose for a young boy that was living, that born there. That, it, that, he, if it, that he could use me in a way that I never thought possible. And so I went to school, um, uh, and I went to church, and I listened to the messages. And as a teenager, I gave my life to Christ. And I read the Bible, and it said you can do great things when you give your life to Christ. And I looked around me at the people around me. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and, and I didn't really see a lot going on. There's a lot of hype. There was a lot of dancing, there was a, a lot of hoop and hollering, but I don't know that I was seeing the things that the Bible said would happen as a result of me giving my life to Christ. And life went on and I left school and Judy and I went into the business world. And so we, for 20 years, we built uh, great careers in the business world. Now, I grew up 
in the middle of the place where the Welsh revival started, in the area, within the area of where the Welsh revival started. So 1904, it was a coal mining community. It's interesting that, that uh, Pastor Doug said that his grandfather came over from Wales. Uh, and I think you said he was helping make it tunneling through the mountains. Or you know, There's no greater tunnelers than Welsh people because they were used to going underground and tunneling into coal mines with a pickaxe uh, and nothing else and, and just you know, making a way and making tunnels to dig coal. Coal was the big industry in our area. Back in the early uh, 20th century, coal mining was really the biggest industry in this. And these were hard-working people, hardy people, rough people, mainly men involved in this industry. And uh, there's a story that, that at one time it was children would go down and, and dig the, the, the tunnels because they were smaller. And so instead of going to school and having an education, they would start off as coal miners. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of lung disease in Wales as a result of them going down in unventilated shafts. Uh, and so they would have emphysemia or lung disease, and it would it would cause them to suffer in that way. So I grew up with my, my great-grandfather was a miner, my grandfather was a miner, my, my father was a miner. I actually went to the National Coal Board to do an apprenticeship, and I got the apprenticeship but decided not to do it and go with another company. So otherwise, I would have been a coal miner as well. And in 1904, there was a young coal miner who wasn't very educated, but he just had a burden on his heart from God. And he would spend hours upon hours waiting upon the Lord and saying, Lord, bend me. Lord, break me. Lord, use my life to make a difference in my community. My community is going to hell, and I want to make a difference. And the, the, the story goes that people would think, who does he think he is? He is not educated. He hadn't been to Bible school. He, he wasn't worthy of the position of being a revivalist. But God saw his heart, and God heard his cry. And they say that the Welsh revival started with a group of elderly ladies who were praying. And this young coal miner who was so passionate that he, he would get up to preach and he would, he would stutter in what he was saying. And sometimes all he would say is, break me, bend me. And the presence of the Holy Spirit would come in and it would start to bring conviction in the house. And it would start to bring conviction in, uh, amongst other church members. Some would mock him. Some would, would think that he wasn't good enough. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit was very, very real. And the, the uh, Welsh revival spread and they say 100,000 people came to the Lord in just a six-month period. When we came to America and, and somebody said to us, oh, there's a revival going on, you could go to it. I said, what, you can drive to a revival? I know you've got driving McDonald's and driving banks, but drive to in revival? And he said, well, yeah. I said, well, what is a revival? And they said, well, it's a series of services, you know, where you go and they sing songs and you have an evangelist preaches and everybody gets excited. And I said, what difference is that making in the community? What influence is that having on the culture? And they said, well, I, I don't really know, but, but it's a revival. I said, I, I, that's not the revivals I grew up listening 
to my grandparents telling me about their, their parents coming in drunk in the Holy Spirit or laughing. Having seen the miracles and the signs and wonders of what God was doing in people's lives. The conviction that he was bringing to people's lives. They say so much so was the, 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 the move of the Holy Spirit on, on the area of Wales where I was raised. That the school children would put their head on the desks and the teacher would say to them, what's wrong? And said, miss, what must I do to be saved? They weren't teaching religious studies or they were teaching math and English. And, uh, but but the, there was such a conviction of the Holy Spirit that kids would say, what must I do to receive Jesus in my life? And they say that the, the, my, the, the um, police force had no crimes. There were nobody because everybody was in church. They said some of the, the pubs and the public houses were closed because nobody was going to them because they were going to church. And in the coal mines, the way they would bring the, the coal up from the bottom to the top is they had mules or small Welsh ponies that they would attach to carts and they would dig the coal, put them in the cart, and then the pony would bring it to the surface. Well, so much so was the influence of the Welsh revival that these ponies only operated by curse words and violence from these miners. But so many miners gave their lives to Christ. They had to re-educate the ponies so they knew who these people were. And they, like, I don't know what you're saying. And they're saying, well, but their language had cleaned up. That, that's what I'm talking about, about revival. I, I'm talking about the government changing policy because they realize how ungodly what they were doing is. I'm talking uh, about people in the community realizing that they, they need to lay down their agendas and their ungodly ways and focus on the word of God and, and what God is saying and the will of God for their lives. That is my desire. That's my heart for Grants Pass, Oregon. That there would be a change, there would be a shift, no matter what the weather was and how great ATVing is and river rafting is and things. On a Sunday morning, people would want to be in the house of God. People would want to say, I, I'm hungry for his presence. I'm hungry to see what this God of the universe who, who hung on a tree for me, who gave everything for me, because why he is worthy of it all. He's worthy of my entertainment. He's, he's worthy of everything about my life that I, I would count as more important than God's will for my life. So that's what I grew up understanding revival to be. And so you would think that I would be sold out for God and focus 100%. But as we left school and built a business, and I became Wales' largest soccer uniform specialist. I, I sponsored the Welsh Soccer League. You know, soccer is a religion in the UK. Uh, this is very much the same as football and other sports are religion in America. And people worship in these stadiums. You know, some people struggle to stay in church for an hour, but, but they'll, they'll worship for, I don't know how long, a football match is over here, but it seems it goes on forever and ever, and they kick this bag of air around, and then somebody wins and somebody loses. Who cares? They're still going to hell tomorrow if they die. And yet some people are so absorbed and enamored by the fact that one team would win or one team would lose. 
And yet God has a plan and a purpose for your life that's much greater than being a sports fan or, or a hunter or a fisherman or whatever else it would be that you would think is important for your lives. I heard many people praying that the Lord would send revival. Send revival. There was a time in my life that I would pray that same prayer, and one day I felt convicted when I thought, so what did God send? He sent his only son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but would have everlasting life. Maybe that's not enough. So then he sent his Holy Spirit to empower us and to fill us, to give us all that we need. And maybe we then get to a stage where we say, well, Lord, that's not enough. Now will you send revival? Can you, can you just feel the disappointment on God's heart towards a people who would say that your son and your spirit is not enough for us? And God is saying, what more must I give you? What more must I give you than what I've already given you? Revival is a myth in your heart. Be the revival. Be the one that God will use to bring transformation. The word revive means to restore, to consciousness or life. When church leaders speak of revival, they, to, they refer to a spiritual reawakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation in the life of a believer. And for me, as a young boy growing up in church, and even then as a young adult, and watching around me how enthusiastic people, I would go to conferences, uh, and in a conference or a camp meeting, that people would come and a, and a motivational evangelist would preach a great message and everybody was going to be excited. Everybody was going to change the world. And as a young boy, I was thinking, wow, is this revival? And then people would go back to their own homes and come to church. And maybe the first Sunday, they were very enthusiastic. But the second Sunday and the third Sunday, it would start to peter out a little and then after a month, they're waiting for the next conference or the next camp meeting or the next great speaker. And in 2023, now you have it on your phone. You can, you can think, wow, that was a life-changing word today, but wait until tomorrow's word. And God is saying, I sent you my son and I sent you my spirit. And, and now you're waiting for a word? I try not to be sarcastic when people come up to me and say, will you give me a word? So there's a book full of them. It's called the Bible. Have you, how much of that have you applied to your life? As I said yesterday and the day before, that doesn't mean I'm against prophecy. We, we, we operate prophetically. And this week we've given prophetic words. I believe there, there is something about the prophetic word of God that, that breaks through in people's lives and agree, agrees with them. Most of the time, it just reminds you that God knows about your situation. He knows who you are and he's saying, wake up. Don't be dormant. Don't be apathetic. Don't have a pity party thinking that poor old you 
God's saying, I've sent you my son, I've sent you my spirit, and now you have everything you need for life and for godliness. You have everything you need to change the world. And for the sake of time this morning, I'll just fast forward through our story. We were at a stage at 36 years of age, we were in a church service very much like this, a smaller church, and the speaker asked the question, what legacy do you want to leave behind you? He asked, what do you want to be remembered for when you die? What do you want people to say about your life? And I remember thinking, the worst thing that people could say about my life was he was Wales' largest soccer uniform specialist. Remember, Mark, he used to sponsor the Welsh Soccer League. You know, those people kicking that ball around with a bag of air and all cheering as if it was really important. And this guy made money out of selling them uniforms and equipment to do that. And I thought, if that's what people say about me, I'm going to be disappointed when I die. There's a, a British evangelist, you may have, uh, have heard of him. Uh, he uh, came to America many years ago to serve the Lord here, followed God's call, called Leonard Ravenhill. And he dedicated his life to mobilizing the U.S. church in the area of prayer and revival. And he's buried in a, in a small grave uh, uh, graveyard in Tyler, Texas, or Lindale, just outside T T Tyler. I took a photograph of his gravestone, and this is what it says on his gravestone. It says, other things you are living for worth Christ dying for. Is it, are, are they worthy of a crucified Christ? Are they worthy of what God had to do to redeem you? And that sobering question challenged us at 36 years of age. And I said to Julie, I said, what if the Bible is really true? I know you think I'm a heretic at this point, but what I meant was, what if we could do what Jesus said we could do? What if, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we could do that? Would you back me? May I? A Bible verse that's always challenged me has been in John 14, verse 12. It says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me. Do, do anybody in here believe in Jesus? Go on, in, just indulge me. Just raise your hands a second so that I know I'm in the right place. So this is you and I that Jesus is talking about. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. The disciples at that time didn't want Jesus to leave them. They thought, Jesus, don't go. We're enjoying the ride here. We're enjoying having you doing all the work here. Jesus said, no, no, greater things than these will you do. And remember, the, these people were... The, the majority of them were uneducated people who had given up things like fishing, and uh, one of them was a doctor, but one of them was a tax collector. They'd given up. They, they, they'd laid down their nets, as you say, and they'd followed Jesus. And now they'd watched Jesus, open blind eyes, feed 5,000 people from a little boy's lunch. They'd watched people, uh, Jesus, raise Lazarus from the dead. And now he turns to them and he said, greater things than these will you do 
in my name. And that those disciples probably looked at Jesus very much like you're looking at me now thinking, what? Us? Well, Julie and I were at that stage of our life where I said, what if Jesus really meant it? And all I'm doing is selling soccer uniforms and Julie was in marketing and sales and advertising and very, very good at what we did. We, we had all the trappings of success, but I thought, what if he was worthy of it all? What if, what if God could use me to do something different that would transform the world? What if I could see healings and miracles? What if I could, I, I could advance his kingdom in areas that his disciples were meant to advance? Well, to cut a long story short, the, the idea of it was a challenge to me. And I didn't know what to do. And Julie and I were in a dilemma. And I just felt God saying, I want more of you. But you know, when God asks you a question and says, I want more of you, okay, in a, in a service like this, you can get enthusiastic. You can get carried away with the music and, and the dancing and the group and the people around you. And, but when it comes down to, you, down to it and, and Jesus says, lay down everything and follow me, then we start to think about the what ifs. You know, there's a story where where the one person says, well, I've, I've got a father to bury. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. I don't know what the context of that was, and I've heard many people explaining it away, but it seems cruel to me. You know, I've got an elderly parent I'm looking after right now, and once they die, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And he says, let the dead people bury the dead. What he's saying is, let those who don't really want to follow me, that do want to have a living and a career, let them do that. And, and I'm not con bringing condemnation on anybody. I'm not saying you shouldn't look after elderly parents. Please don't get that point today. I'm just telling you where I was at. These thoughts were going round in my mind, and I was thinking, God, what could you do with my life if I removed all the obstacles of self? What if I was to lay down the things that were important to me that really, in the light of eternity, don't even exist? All the things that I couldn't take past the grave. The only thing we can take past the grave is relationships. We can send things ahead of us. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we treasure the things of God, we build mansions in heaven. When we invest in the kingdom, then our treasure in heaven grows. But I'll be honest with you, I wasn't even thinking about treasure in heaven. I was just thinking about living the dash, living between the, the day I was born and the day I die and what I would be remembered for. And, and so I said to Julia, I, 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 I just can't do this any longer. And she said, no, me neither. The conviction of the Holy Spirit in our hearts was saying, how about having a God adventure? Let's just see if God is real. Let's just see if his word is more than just a fairy story that sounds good. And let's just see. And, and so we decided to give God one year of our lives. And then we start to think, oh, but what about this and what about this? And fear starts to creep in. 
know, fear is the biggest tool of the enemy to stop you fulfilling God's plan and purpose for your life. When we teach on fear, there's an acronym, uh, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. The amount of people that says to me, oh, I'd love to do this, but I can't do it because of this. I'm like, do you know that's not even real? I could take you to countries in the world that things you're afraid of in America doesn't even exist. You're afraid of not having this and not having that and not having the other. I was counseling a young missionary who was going to Africa, and and he said, "Uh, how much does it cost to run the air conditioning? (laughs) I said, it's free. (laughs) Yeah, it's free. And he says, how is, it, how, can they, how is it free there and it costs you? I said, because it doesn't exist there. You know, sometimes we have these creature comforts and things, and I, I'm going down more than just the, the things that keep us cool. But sometimes there can be a fear of, what if God was to let me down? Now, you, you wouldn't, as a good Christian, admit that was the fear. But you would have a fear of the future. What's going to happen to me one day? And so Julia and I had great careers. We had good salaries. I had a car that was worth more than my house. And I felt God saying, lay it down and trust me. I said to Julia, do you want to take a risk and do that? And we decided we were going to give God one year of our life. And in 2003, we were 37 years of age, and we flew from U- the UK to Dallas, Texas. I like to put this picture up. It usually gets me into trouble. They all say, Judy looks the same, but what happened to you? <sighs> I once made a mistake of saying 20 years of marriage, but that was, didn't go down well, and I decided I was never going to say that on a microphone again. <laughs> Ten years of pastoring, maybe. I don't know. Uh, uh, and so there we are at Christ for the Nations in a, in a school where they had 1,100 students from 55 nations, the majority of them being between the age of 18 and 25. And we are the old people in the class. We are 37 years of age. We, I had been Wales' largest soccer uniform specialist. I'd had four retail sports stores. I had a mail order company. I sponsored the Welsh Soccer League. And I'd laid this down. I'd sold my home. I walked away from the career. I didn't just put it on hold. I walked away from it because I knew that if I kept hold of anything, it would be a distraction. And I said, God, we're going to give you 12 months of our life to see what you could do with that. And so there we are sitting in Bible school in an auditorium of 1,100 students and uh, a prophetic guy from Washington, D.C. comes as a a guest speaker and he calls me and Julie out of an auditorium of 1,100 students and he says, God is going to give you a joint ministry that is going to touch many nations. And the cynical young man that I was then is like, yeah, thanks. But uh, inside I was saying, how on earth is that ever going to happen? Do you not realize I've just given up my salary? Why? Because before I could have paid for myself to have gone to many nations. But now I'd have to trust God to send me. What if the Bible was really true, that where he guides, he provides? I said, well, God, if that word is from you, I've taken away the means of getting myself there. You're going to have to do that. And In the last 
20 years. That was 20 years ago. And every year we give God another year of our lives to see if the Bible's true. And he's taken us to 34 nations and now Oregon is our 49th state. And God has provided for us. We've not had a salary. We've not had much of a plan in all this, but God keeps opening doors for us and we keep going forward and we start to see blind eyes open and we start to see people healed and we see drug addicts running to the altar and having addictions broken off them and lives transformed. People who are on a, on a road to hell, arrested and brought to the altar and God is saving lives. Somebody gave us a prophetic word back then saying, God is going to give you greater than your imagination. And, and jokingly, we would look at beach houses and we would look at Ferraris and we would look at things and say, can you imagine having those? Can you imagine having three of them? God's going to give us greater than our imagination. And we knew that wasn't what God was going to give us. But you know, seeing transformed lives, seeing lives that were going to hell now going to heaven is greater than our imagination. God, that God would use a little boy from the valleys of Wales, from a mountain where nobody was famous, and take me throughout the world to see transformed lives was enough to say, Lord, you are worthy of it all. It's easy to say you're worthy of it all when you don't have anything. But when God says, well, I'm just touching this in your life and that in your life, how about you see less importance in that and more importance in my plan and my purpose for your life? We went to the Philippines on a mission outreach. God just broke our heart for the nations. God says, I'm going to use you to transform lives, to transform families, to restore families, restore marriages. I'm going to use you to turn families around. I'm going to use you to transform communities. And I said, Lord, if you would do that for us, there's nothing that we wouldn't do for you. Lord, take everything that we have. We just want to follow your plan and your purpose for our life. In the next semester, of Bible school, a speaker came and, and he said this statement. He said, three billion people alive today have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel one time. Now you must realize I grew up in a Pentecostal church that had a bit of a nickname of the second comers. As a teenager, they would be so fixed on that Jesus was coming soon, I would have one eye on the door and one eye on the platform thinking, is he going to come before the end of the service? And that group of elderly people in our church was so enthusiastic that he was going to come before the end of their lifetime that I was thinking, it's going to be this week. And now 30, 40 years on, I realize that Jesus hasn't returned yet. Why? Because three billion people alive today have not had an opportunity yet to hear the gospel. If I was teaching in a missions conference or a missions class, as we often do, I would talk to you about places in Africa where the gospel is not preached and India where the gospel is not preached. But God hasn't called me here today to encourage you to follow an overseas missions call. And if you have a call, we'd love to talk to you about that and we'd love to help you to get to the field that God is calling you. But when Jesus said he's going to give us power to be his witnesses, he said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. 
He wants you to reach the uttermost parts. And some of you will never go there. You, you, you need to support ministries that are going there. But Jerusalem for you is Grant's Pass and the surrounding area or wherever it is that you live. Jesus wants you to reach your neighbors with the gospel. During the era of COVID, as we were traveling, people told us we shouldn't travel during COVID because we'd spread COVID or we'd get COVID or we'd die. And, and as Pastor Doug said to me this week, you can't threaten me with heaven. People said, you need to go home to Jacksonville. I said, listen, it might be your home, but it's not my home. I left my home 20 years ago. Jacksonville is just another mission field for me. When we leave this door today, there's a mission field out there. And there's a harvest with your name on it. And somebody is waiting to hear the gospel from you. Somebody who is struggling is waiting for you to lay hands on them and deliver them from whatever it is that's causing their lives to go down the tubes. And they want to have an eternity with you in heaven. So there is a mission field there, but there is a mission field on your doorstep. And during COVID, people were arguing about whether you should wear masks or not. And I think it's, it's far enough behind us now that I could get away with telling you this story. But I was in Indiana, and, uh, and the pastor had said to me, he said, oh, boy, he said, I've had some trouble in this church. And I said, what's the matter? And he said, well, he said, half my congregation want to wear masks. And half my congregation don't want to wear masks. And he said, there's this conflict. People who love each other are arguing. He said, I said well, that's, that's, the, that's the deceit of the enemy. He wants to cause conflict. He'll use anything. Well, in this case, the fear of catching a disease was something that caused this fear to rise up and cause division amongst people. And so he told me this before the service, and I had no intention of saying this, but sometimes I forget that I've got the microphone. And these thoughts just bubble up, and Judy goes, I think this is the time we get thrown out of this place. And I said, why would you worry about go, catching a disease, a virus, and, and wearing a mask when you won't go across the street and tell your neighbor about the gospel and save them from eternity in hell? Why would you worry? I remember the pastor looking at me from the front row, thinking, Mark, you said it. I'm thinking this could be the end of a beautiful friendship. Half the church is going to walk out. But you know, we had probably had the biggest altar call we've ever had in a church as people wept at the front. And they said, Lord, forgive us for our selfishness, that this should be about me and my family when there's a world out there that's going to hell. And you have called me to reach these people, and I've decided to wear my mask, not necessarily a COVID mask, but a mask that we've put in front of us that says that we have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. I want to challenge you this morning that God has a plan and a purpose. You are his secret weapon. You are his secret weapon. I love Pastor Doug, and I wish I could say that he's the secret weapon. Worship him. No, follow him as he follows Jesus. But Jesus said, you 
are his secret weapon. He wants you to go into the whole world and preach the gospel. Then God told us to come to America, and he wanted us to redig the wells of revival. And we're thinking, Lord, why would we come to America? And he said, because there are people in America that don't know the gospel. And there's a bunch of Christians that go to church that have forgotten that their only role is to share the gospel. They need to reach their neighbors with the gospel. And so for Julie and I, we reluctantly relocated from the Europe to America, to Jacksonville, Florida, and we started traveling. And during COVID, as we prayed about whether we should travel, as people were advising us not to, the Lord says, if you continue to go, I'll increase your anointing. Missionaries go into crisis, they don't run away. You're called to face the battle, not think which other state has got a better government than this or better tax laws than this, and so I'm going to go there. God's called you to make a difference. God's called you to change the atmosphere. But some of you are battling and you're coming under the atmosphere and under the conditions. But if today you will rise up and say, I am a child of God, I am an ambassador for Christ. Everything available to Jesus is now available to me. Then God will use your life. And in November last year, we told you yesterday that God had called us uh, for this year to travel to 23 U.S. states and light the fires of revival and breakthrough. And somebody gave us a word uh, last year and said, I see you as igniters. I see you going round and setting fire. I'm thinking, well, I've got to be careful when you come to somewhere like Oregon. They don't like fires. So if we don't want to bill ourselves as igniters, come into a, a wooded area. But, you know, I, I feel that we have two roles. One is we're like a fuel tanker. And we're coming to people who are running on fumes. And we're saying, let's just top up that spiritual tank of yours and just remind you that, that you, you, you weren't meant to run on empty. You weren't meant to be complacent and just trickle by and, and just bumbling along. But, but you, know, you are a Ferrari. You are the race car that wins the race. You're in God's race. And on the other side, there's... We're igniters, and in a church like this that has been pouring gasoline over you for week after week after week, but there's some reason that you haven't ignited to the point of changing the community, that we would just come and drop that flame on you today. And you would say, yes, Lord, set me a light for you. Let me burn and let others see me burn for Jesus Christ, and let it be attractive to them. Oregon is our sixth state that we've been to in this revival and breakthrough tour. And we, we've seen God move powerfully. We were in Louisiana last month and we went into a region that every time we go into a region, there's always a, a regional spirit. There's something, an atmosphere that we go into. And in Louisiana, down the bayou, the atmosphere was chaos. 
there was chaos. You know, the hurricanes had come and devastated the houses. There were still tarpaulings over houses. And we could go in. It's almost like a noise that we drove into that was spiritual and not natural. And we could sense this chaos in everybody. Everybody was it's almost like living on their nerves. And as a result, there's a lot of people who are drug addicts in that area. And, and a pastor there said to us, would you come to my church and preach? And we said, yeah, sure, we'd love to. And, and so we go to his church on a Sunday morning. And the church was packed, 200 people in this small building. And they didn't look like the type of people. Uh, they, they would make you look well-dressed, even when you got your shorts on for church, Pastor Doug. They would look like you're overdressed for church. And the pastor said, some churches around you wouldn't even allow these people to come in because they're homeless or they're drug addicts. But he said, you know, that I'm seeing their lives transformed by the gospel. But there's still some people in you that, that haven't quite got it yet and they haven't given their lives to Christ. And I said to him after, as I was preaching, it was like I was preaching through a fog. There was a fog, a spiritual fog over people. And I felt as though I had to keep cutting through it by the Holy Spirit. They were cutting through it. And as, as we drove in, into, into Oregon uh, and we flew, flew into Medford then drove here, I, I could even sense this idea of rebellion, of doing our own thing and doing our, uh, be, using our own space. And God says, I want to cut through the atmosphere of what's happening. How is he going to do that? He's going to do that through you and I. And uh, as we preached in, in the church and I threw the altars open, this is a picture of what happened in Louisiana. The first person out the front was a notorious drug dealer that, that, that had come to church that morning for the first time. And he, he ran to the altar and he said, I, I just want this Jesus that you're talking about. I want you to set me free. I didn't know who he was. And I said, well, as I pray over this brother today, I want you to take the word for yourself. And I didn't know who he was. He he looked quite well-dressed, to be honest with you. I, I, I didn't see him as some down-and-out type of person. And I, I put my hand on him, and I said, the Lord is breaking addiction over your life today. And as I did, he hit the floor onto his knees, and he was weeping. The pastor later told me, this guy is a notorious drug dealer in our area. And as a result, the altars just filled up. And God saved people, he delivered people, he healed people, and he set people free through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that's what he wants to do in this area. But you know, there's an epidemic in America right now of anxiety and stress and worry. I understand if you don't have Jesus, how worrying it could be to be in this culture. For those of you who are foolish enough to think that the news programs are true, and I mean the, the ones they call the good ones, there's no good ones. Let me dispel that myth tonight. Now that newscaster that you love and you wear his hat and he says something, you know, all they do is criticize somebody. If Pastor Doug stands up here every Sunday morning and criticizes people all the time, go and find another church. If I come as a minister and all I got to say is, is people are terrible, people are the problem with the church is, I've not come here to complain about the church. The church is the bride of Christ. It's just I think people have missed it. They've missed the point of why they should be who God has called them to be. So this morning I, I feel that God wants to deal with 
this epidemic of anxiety. I, w I just looked on the internet. It said 42 million Americans are currently suffering with anxiety. Four and a half million children in the U.S. are suffering with anxiety. More than 40,000 Americans die annually of suicide. I was watching a news program just because it came on in a hotel room. And I, I, I normally just turn it over, but, but before I could, it said this. It said 57% of teenage girls in the U.S. feel persistently sad and hopeless. This is not a Christian news program. This is a secular news program. It said one in every three teenage girls had seriously considered suicide. Just after I read this, we were in Louisiana, and uh, Fort Polk, the army base, is close to a church that we, we go to and speak. And they invited us to come and speak at the church, and we had a powerful time. And next day, they said, we have a Christian high school. Would you like to speak to the high school kids? I said, yeah, we love to raise up the next generation. We're passionate about that. And I talked to them about being world changers. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And I said, the challenge is that the enemy also has a plan and a purpose. And by default, we follow his plan. That he makes things appealing to us. And one of his greatest weapons is to make you feel discouraged, to carry shame, to carry discouragement in your spirit, to feel that you're not good enough, maybe to feel that you're suicidal. Maybe you would be better off if you weren't in this world. And then I put that slide up that I put earlier, saying 57% of teenage girls are persistently sad and hopeless. And I said, I, I would hope that in the Christian Academy with 175 high school kids. None of you feel that way, but I know that the enemy is persistent. And so he would come and he would tell you lies that you are not good enough, that you're not beautiful enough, you don't fit the mold, you're not intelligent enough, and you are struggling. So if that's you, Julie came and did an altar call and she said, if you have had those sort of thoughts, we want to pray for you and break that off you this morning. Would you stand with me? And that's a result of what happened. One girl stood up. Everybody looked at her as if she was crazy. And then everybody else started to stand up as well. I think the teachers were shocked that in a Christian academy, the majority of the kids would stand and say, pray for me. I, I need that broken off my life. I'm feeling hopeless. And it's not just Louisiana, which has a different type of spirit over it. We were in Wisconsin, and we spoke in a Christian academy in Wisconsin. There was 250 kids, and 200 of them stood up, including some of the teachers, because they were having suicidal thoughts. They were being discouraged. They were thinking they weren't good enough, because they had agreed with the plan of the enemy for their lives, and they believed that God had forgotten them, that God couldn't use them, and God doesn't care about them. The church where I spoke about the mask in Indiana, thankfully we had a great altar call. People got free. And as a result of that, they started going out to evangelize in their neighborhoods. And the church is now packed to overflowing because people are sharing the gospel. Well, they invited us back to come and speak a few times last year and this year. And on our last visit that we were there, we went through the door and this 
couple, these two ladies, their mother and daughter actually, ran up to us and said, oh, Mark and Julian. I thought, oh, wow, they're, they're big fans of ours, you know. They, we are so glad that, to see you. And I, I said, wow, thanks. What a reception this was. It, it wasn't just like, oh, we're so glad to see. It was overwhelming, isn't you know. And they said, let me tell you what happened the last time you came here. I said, oh, wow, yeah, sure, tell me. And they said, well, you were preaching about the fact that Jesus can heal you. I said, I don't know if you remember, she said, but you did an altar call and you said, Jesus wants to release you today from anxiety and pain and hurt and discouragement and disappointment. And if there's any other label that's been put on you, God's going to break that off you today and he's going to set you free. And you did an altar call. And I said, yeah, somebody took a photograph and sent the altar call. This was the altar call. I dug it out of my photos and they said, yeah, uh, God moved powerfully at the altar that day. He said, well, my, my granddaughter was in that service. I said, oh yeah, how old is your granddaughter? And she said, oh, she, she's 11. And I, and I said, why was she in the service? Because uh, they have a great kids' church. And they said, oh, she's not allowed to go to kids' church because she's so destructive and so evil. And he said, since the age of four, she's been on antidepressant medication She's been labeled with ADHD and she can't read very well. She's very disruptive and she said she bites people. And she's just a horrible child to be around. I've never seen her smile her entire life. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry to you. But, but, but wait, she said, when, when you did the altar call, my granddaughter said to her mother, mom, could I go out for prayer? And she's like, okay, I guess. I guess you can come out. Yeah, I'll take you out. So at the end, when it got quieter, she took her out for prayer, hoping there was going to be no performance because this is what this child was like in every situation. And Julie prayed over this girl, and she just broke off a spirit of anxiety and depression and ADHD that had been labeled her on her life. And to be honest, there was it would have been a long day, and a, we didn't get to hear a story, and she left, and she just went home with her mother. Well, her grandmother said, well, when she went home, her mother said to her, you're actually going to your dad's for the for the rest of the day, and so I'm going to take you there, and, and let me get your medication. And she said, oh, I don't need my medication. Now, we, we never say to people, if God's healed you, don't don't you know? give up your medication. Uh, we always say, check it out with the doctor first. But this 11-year-old girl says to her mother, you know, she's a rebellious girl anyway. She said, I'm not taking my medication. Jesus has healed me. And she says, listen, if I take you to your dad's house and I haven't got your medication, he knows what you're like. He's going to be mad at me. And she says, I don't care. I'm not taking my medication. So she goes to her dad's house and her dad says, where's your medication? He says, I don't need it, dad. Jesus has healed me. And he's like, oh, my goodness. He calls the mother and says, what are you playing at? Sending a year? You're trying to cause World War Three." But anyway, apparently she wasn't too bad, and, and she goes back to her mother, and, and that w next few days she had a, a therapy appointment that she had once a week. And her mother said, I'm taking you to therapy. And she said, yeah, okay. Oh, she says, so you don't want to take your medication, but you'll go to therapy. She says, yeah, I'll come to therapy. So she goes to therapy, and her mother says to us, she sat in therapy, and the doctor says, how are you feeling? And she said, Jesus has healed me. She said, why did you come to therapy then? Because she says, I want to learn everything that you know so I can help other people.
were in my situation. At the, end of, at the end of that service, the grandmother brought Gabby to us. This is Gabby with a big smile on her face. This is a year later. And God has healed her. She's top of her class in school. She's welcomed back into kids' church. She's answering all the questions. She's more attentive because she took the word of God for herself. And she said, I've come to the end of myself. I don't want to go on like this any longer. Jesus has healed me. I encourage you today to take God at his word. God wants to use your life to transform others. He wants to bring hope to the people around you. You are God's secret weapon. You are the answer to the people's prayers in this town and in this city and in this area. Your neighbors have been praying prayers. God, if you're real, Show me somebody who does what the Bible says they can do. And God is saying, I've got them ready. I just got to set them alight. And I believe today, as we end this service, God is going to set you alight and on fire for Jesus. Judy's going to come and close, and we're going to open the altars to, today that God would touch your life and set you free, that you would burn. Lord is challenging us. He's challenging every aspect of our heart. For those of you that have journeyed with us Friday night, Saturday night, and now the Sunday morning, you know what he's putting his finger on. You know. It's time to let go and let God. Let him have those disappointments, those discouragements, those fearful moments, those bad memories. You don't need those anymore. He wants you to move forward in confidence. He wants to restore and refresh you. He wants you to be bold and courageous. You can put fear under your feet. You know, we are seated in heavenly places with Jesus. We're in Christ. We're seated in heavenly places with Christ is the word of God. When we receive Jesus, he receives us. We are in that elevated position. He's given us all authority. He has all authority, and yet he delegates that to you and to me. So what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? Yes, it's for us, but it's not only for us. It's for the world around us. It's for those that are feeling sad and hopeless, that, that we would have the words to speak of eternal life, words of hope that would lift them. We have to know who we are in Christ in this season more than ever. You know, history is his story, but he chooses to co-labor with us to make that history. Are you ready? Are you ready to strip away those things? Sin that so easily entangles us. And we all have it. We're all working on something. We're all on a journey from strength to strength, glory to glory. We're none of us exempt because we live in a fallen world. But when we give it to him, when we release those things that are keeping us bound, bound to the things of the past, bound to the opinions of others, Fear of man brings a snare. 
the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, we're to ask for it. And he will give freely to each and every one of us. Will you stand with me as we draw to a close this morning? Thank you for your patience, your engagement. I know the Lord is working in your hearts this morning. Just let him have his way. Just get out of the way. Just get out of the way. What you think, what you feel. Close your eyes. You don't need to look at anybody around you. Allow the Holy Spirit to pinpoint that which he wants to deal with in your heart today, that you might be free, that you might be confident, that you might know that God is for you, not against you. You're above and not beneath. You're the head and not the tail. And he chooses you. He chooses you not just today, but he chooses you every minute of every day. Let that truth just sink into your spirit. You are needed and you are necessary. During the Second World War, there was an advertising campaign for recruitment for people to go into the services, into the military. And there was a poster and it was, it was an army captain and he's just got his finger pointed. As you look at the poster and it just says, we need you. And I declare today, Jesus needs you. Jesus needs you. He needs you to be fully whole. He needs you to be strong in the power of his might. He needs you to trust him like you've never trusted him before. But his plan is good. Make you prosper. Give you hope. And give you a future with him. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for those words of life and those words of truth that, that you speak over us, that we are your treasured possession. Thank you for the price that's being paid, Jesus. You paid the price. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. There's no more that you can do for us. You sent your Holy Spirit to indwell us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Lord, give us the confidence to release those things that are blockages between our intimacy with you and our confidence in being Jesus to others. Just remove those hindrances now as we give you our thoughts, our feelings, our concerns, our anxieties. Lord, we cast them upon you. Why? Because you care for us. Remove every hindrance, Lord, whatever it is. Cause us to fix our gaze afresh. Raise our gaze. You're the glory and lifter of our heads this morning. And if Christ be for us, who can be against us? Thank you, Lord. Maybe you've got some doubts today that God could use you. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, verse 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. As we pray and we say, Holy Spirit, come. We're praying Old Testament prayers. Because then it would come and it would anoint people for a task and then it would go back. But Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and be my witnesses. And it's better that I go to the Father because the Holy Spirit is going to live on the inside of you. Resurrection power. 
the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Therefore, go and make disciples. All authority. I want to encourage you today that when you leave this place, whether you work in education or you work in the business world in some way or, or whether you're homeschooling or whether you're battling with kids or families or, or whether you're retired but you have a social circle of people that you mix with or whatever you spend your time doing that you realize there is an authority that it's been given to you. Jesus was given, given his, his disciples the baton of the gospel and he said, this is a relay race. This is a relay race, and you're in it. The only reason that you're listening to this message today is so that somebody has passed this baton of the gospel to you. Now you're holding this. Some of you are sitting on it. Some of you are throwing it. It's in the attic somewhere. You don't even know where it is, the loft maybe. You want to dig it back out and say, hang on, I forgot I was in a race. Somebody needs the baton of the gospel from me. Some of you need to realize this, this baton carries the authority of Jesus. All authority has been given for me, therefore go. And as you go, you go in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was speaking in a church in Bulgaria in August, and, and I had an interpreter who was, who was um, interpreting from English to Bulgarian, and she um, I didn't know what her situation was, but sh she ended up standing up for three hours during the service because she interpreted for me and Julie, and we did workshops, and it was on all, it was on all, all evening type of thing, and and so many illustrations. And this this girl texted me the day after, and she says, "You know, I, I had excruciating pains in my legs for the last two months. If I'd known I'd had to stand up for three hours, I wouldn't have even volunteered to translate for you and interpret." She said, when you held up the baton and you said, all authority has been given you, authority over sickness, authority over demons, authority over the power of darkness. Sickness has no authority in your body or in the bodies of anybody you are going to pray for. You're going to break that. She said, as I interpret that into English, she said, uh, into Bulgarian, I felt the power of God shoot through my body. You didn't pray for me. And she said, I woke up this morning and my legs are healed. And she said, I've been dancing all morning and, and praising the Lord because I took the revelation that I carry the authority of the kingdom of heaven to do what Jesus said I could do. And she says, and now I'm ignited and I'm on fire and I'm ready to take ground back from the enemy that he's taken from me for the last 20 years of my life. And I want God to use me. And so if that's you today, and you need a reminder that you carry the authority of heaven amongst you, I want you to raise your arms with me and say, Lord, I, I accept your authority in my life today. I accept your authority in my life today. Help me to understand that the power of heaven lives inside of me. Resurrection power lives inside of me. And this morning, I believe God's going to ignite something in each and every one of your hearts that Grant's pass is going to be different. 
Grants Pass is going to change. We declare revival in Grants Pass. We declare revival in this church and every other church. We break the barriers between church leaders in this place. We tear down disunity and we speak unity in this place. That the church of Jesus Christ will gather together and they will realize that we are on the same side. Father, we cast down rebellion in this area, this single-mindedness in this area, Lord, individualism in this area, saying this is my stuff, don't touch it. We cast that down in Jesus' name, and we release freedom. Freedom is flowing in this place like a mighty river that's going to make the rogue river look like a little puddle. Father, I thank you that the river of God is starting to flow in this place as the people of God rise up now and take their place on the wall that you are the warriors that God has called to make a difference in this area. The devils are trembling and they're starting to flee in Jesus' name because the people of God are submitting to God and resisting the devil and he has to flee. He has no other option but to flee. So Father, we cast out the plan of the enemy to restrict your people, each and every person that has their hands raised, anybody on live stream that is taking this word for themselves today, Lord. Father, we thank you that there is a forest fire, there is an inferno starting today, Lord Jesus, that's going to burn through this area, burn up all the dross, burn up all the apathy, Lord. Set this place of fire for Jesus. Thank you, Father. Healings, miracles. If you need a healing in your body, if you just want more of God, come and join me at the altar this morning and trust God. There's an anointing here this morning that I believe you can step into like a mighty river. I know Pastor Doug wants to do a fire tunnel as we end the service, <clears throat> but I just want you to come and stand with us today. Stand and believe. I can feel a tangible presence of God just here this morning. That if you will step in and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Here I am, Lord, use me. I'm done with believing that I am less than. Today I realize that I am more than capable because God has called me. God has anointed me. And he wants me this morning to be used in his service. Thank you, Father, for each and every person that's coming to the front this morning and those who are standing out here. Father, as we just walk past them today, Lord, I thank you, Father, for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father. Father, you're taking fear away. I thank you, Father. Wrong self-image away today in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Deliverance is in the house tonight. Today, thank you this morning, God, that you are setting the captives free, each and every person, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We just release your anointing today in this place. We release your anointing over these people today, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for fresh hope today. Fresh hope today, Lord. New vision today, God. 
Thank you, Father. Desperation is gone in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're setting the captives free today, Lord Jesus. Free to soar on eagles' wings today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for life today, Lord Jesus. Thank you for life in dead places today, God. Thank you for using your servants to bring life to this area, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Labels are gone. Labels are gone in Jesus' name. Now the label says, Son of God, child of the King, joint heir with Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for life and godliness. Thank you, Father, for signs and wonders, healings and miracles. Thank you, God, for all that you have in store. This ministry team, Lord. Father, I thank you for a fresh anointing on this ministry team. Father, they have a great ministry team in this church, but Father, they, I just feel a sense of they've been promoted today. They've been promoted today. You, 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 you're, you've just infused them, Lord Jesus, today with a new level of anointing, Father. Demons will just flee by the shadow of these people as they come. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. They speak the word and the enemy flees in Jesus' name, Father. No pleading. No pleading with the enemy. No bargaining with the devil. Just say, speak the word. And the word sets them free today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for fresh anointing. I just see the Lord say, your senders. I just see the Lord say, your senders. There's an increase coming. There's an increase coming for you. You're going to send more people. There's an increase, but in doing so, there's an anointing that's rising up in you as a couple. God is just using you this today. And this is going to start. You have just taken the baton in your hand and you said, I am ready to run. Lord, use me. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Rebecca, would you come forward? I, I just feel, <clears throat> I, I want to pray over you. And, and I, I recognize the authority that you've been handed by Pastor Doug. And just the authority that, that you were sharing amongst the ministry team of this church. And I know that, that I feel the Lord says to you today that there's, a, there's still a battle going on. You're still trying to make sense of a few things. As, as much of a lioness as you are, there's, there's still areas, says the Lord, that, that he needs to boost you up in, says the Lord. It's, it's not, it's, this is not a negative thing. I, and I know Julie declared over you this week about de um, flaws in the foundation. And, but that's not a negative thing. Don't, don't think, you know, God uses people who are flawed. God uses people. If you were perfect, you'd already be in heaven right now. And you'd be, or you'd at least be, you'd be teaching us. So, but I just feel a sense today that the Lord says to you, despite the battles that you've gone through, and and even though you think you've won them all, and in a sense you just keep being humble before the Lord. I, I think there's a lesson to be learned in this for each and every one of us. There's always more of God. There's always more of his anointing in our lives. And, and uh, the higher we go, the, the more he, he highlights to us areas that he wants us to, to lay down. Uh, and the Lord says today, there's, there's beauty in the brokenness. There's beauty in those areas that we've come from. It's, it's not where we've come from that matters. It's where we're going. 
God says that there is a windshield in front that is so much bigger than the rear view mirror. And the, the Lord says, you, you do have to glance back and remember. Remember where you've come from. You know, if we don't, we, we get all prideful, thinking that, that we become better than others. And I'm not saying that the Lord says that to you, but I know it's a battle for many ministers. The, the more they go on with the Lord, the more they feel, wow, God's using me. And just stay humble as you are. Stay humble as you are before him. Just realizing that without him, we are nothing. Judy and I are nothing without him. It's all about him. It's not about us. But don't allow people to speak over you and don't allow the lies of the enemy to penetrate your team. Keep, keep encouraging your team to walk uprightly before the Lord, but walk humbly before him, realizing that they, they are no great shakes. God didn't pick them because they're the most capable people on the planet. He chooses the broken. He chooses the ones who are overlooked and he uses them for his glory. So Father, I declare over Rebecca today, a new level of anointing. I thank you, Father. I just see her as, as someone that you brood over with singing on a daily basis, Lord. You rejoice as you see her, Lord Jesus. But I, I feel a sense, Lord, that she's going to be part of the warrior force that's going to drive out the demonic from this area, Lord. But the enemy doesn't lay that down easily, God. He wants to hold on like a fortress. But Father, you've given her a battering ram today, Lord Jesus. And he is, she is breaking down the walls of the enemy and releasing, taking ground from the enemy in this region, Lord, in every area, in every aspect, Lord. Father, that there's a reputation that's going to come for this church, not just the kooky people that others think they are, Lord, but that they're going to be the people of God that is setting this place on fire for Jesus. And people saying, how is he using them? It's because they are humble, because they are sold out, because they said he is worthy of it all. He is worthy of it all. Bless her today in Jesus' name. She's one powerhouse of a lady. You know, we have come to activate your faith, and there's so many of you here at the altar. I want to encourage you. Jesus is speaking to you. If you have a word or a picture of, uh, for encouragement for, for someone, why don't you just activate your faith today? Don't wait on us. Find someone that you can pray with. That's an activation, guys. Come on. Find someone to pray with. Pray for one another. The scripture says that we might confess our sins one to the other. Why? That we might be healed. Activate your faith today. Maybe you've never gone to someone before and you've prayed for them. As you open your mouth, as you're willing, as you step forward to minister to someone else, the Lord will give you the words to speak. And if they don't come too quickly, you can pray a blessing. We all need the blessing of the hand of God in our lives. Activate your faith this morning. We're not going to send you out there unless you've activated it in here. This is a safe place. God's spirit is in each and every one of us. Turn to someone. Pray for someone. Give them a word of encouragement. Yes, give them a smile. Give them a hug. Come on, guys. This is the family of God at work. Activate your faith. If he gives you a picture, share it. It doesn't have to make sense to you. In fact, it won't make sense to you. Activate your faith today. Practice 
sharing what God has placed in you with your neighbor. It gets easier the more that you do it. Activate your faith today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Lord. If you need healing in your body, just place your hand close to that area and say, Lord, I receive. I receive my healing today. There's a healing anointing in this place. There's a power of agreement. And he loves to inhabit the praises and the unity of his people. Release your faith. Release your faith this morning that we might all benefit. Release your faith this morning. He is able. He is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask, think, or imagine. Release your faith. Father, we just release faith, a supernatural gift of faith in this place, Lord, to believe like they've never believed before, Lord. We raise our gaze this morning. We say, fill us, refresh us, revive us, that we truly might be the river of God that is flowing through us to the world around us. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the testimonies that will come forth, Lord that you choose us, that you choose to use us to bless the community, to bless one another, to raise the name of Jesus high. Because you said if your name be lifted high, Jesus, you will bring men, women, and children into yourself. We declare Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Thank you, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. going to <clears throat> we're going to finish with something that we do occasionally here and that is a fire tunnel and we just really feel it would be appropriate in this moment because the fire represents the fire of God represents the burning off the burning of those things that we don't need anymore it's like the refiner's fire the dross is burned off and what we get in the end is something that's really been purified so, we'll get some, uh, we got, is Clyde still here, or did he disappear? Oh, there he is, right there. We need you, brother. And what I need is I need some, I need some of you leaders to stand up 